Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Job chapter 3. Preached three sermons now from the first two chapters of Job two some months back on the first chapter and then one last Sunday evening from the second chapter. Let me review just a moment before we get into chapter three so that we all remember that the episode that is taking place, God has received into his presence his angels to give an account of what they have been doing and amongst those angels is Satan who was one of the chief of the angels until his rebellion and fall from heaven. God inquired as to where he had been, what he had been doing and he announced that he had been down on earth going to and fro upon the earth. God asked him if he had observed his servant Job pointed out to Satan that there was not a more righteous man on all the earth. He was perfect, upright, righteous in every way. Satan said he would not be that way if you didn't keep a hedge around him, preventing anything from happening to him. And with that, God said, all right. I'll let you do whatever you want with him except you cannot touch him. And out of that permission, Satan came down and destroyed all of the possessions of Job and killed his children, left Job devastated, but Job refused at the conclusion of chapter 1. Job refused to blame God for his problem. The same scene takes place in chapter 2 in heaven when the angels and Satan in their midst appear before God. The same thing takes place and God asked Job if he had, or God asked Satan if he had observed his servant Job, how righteous he was and even though he had lost everything, still he was upright and honest and just. This time Satan said he wouldn't be if he would touch his body. He would cause something to happen to him physically. God gave permission to Satan again to go back to earth at this time to, to do whatever he wanted with the body of Job except he was prohibited from taking his life. This time Job was covered from head to foot with boils. And even his wife wanted him to curse God and go ahead and commit suicide and Job refused and maintained that he was innocent and that there was no reason that God would bring this thing upon him. Three of his friends pay him a visit for the purpose of comforting him and setting him straight and they were devastated by what they saw in the closing verses of chapter 2. And for seven days they sat with Job as Job suffered this tremendous agony and pain of the boils 
And not one of these three friends of his could bring themselves to make any comment. They were so grieved by what they saw, so devastated. Some of us have had that experience of going to visit some friend or loved one, having seen them last in good health, to see them really devastated and nearly beyond recognition. And it's, it's a hard thing to take. So they sat with their friend for seven nights and seven days and said nothing. And finally, in the third chapter, Job breaks the silence. And what Job does in this third chapter is he laments his condition and even wishes that he had never been born. He really complains to God. And although he complains bitterly to God for the conditions that he has, we now see God is silent and does not step up and accuse Job of being unmerciful or, or unfaithful. He accepts and understands that which Job is going through with, that Job is speaking out of a mind and a heart that has been absolutely devastated without an understanding as to why it has taken place. Before the book of Job is over, later on as I preach more sermons from this book, we will find Job coming to the place that he accepts that which has been given to him as his lot, and he does not grumble and complain about his position, and God ultimately blesses his faithfulness and restores to him good health and his family back and possessions more than he had he ever had. At that time, he was the third wealthiest person in all the world. And the scripture would indicate to us to believe that he became doubly wealthy as a result of his willingness to stay faithful to God. There are benefits in staying faithful to God even in times when we cannot understand why things are happening to us. We don't always get an answer to our whys with God. Sometimes he expects us to accept our situation on faith and simply respond positively to his saying, simply trust me. Just trust me. I can recall many times that being spoken to me by my father or by my teachers in school when I could not understand the whys of things and I would hear the words, you don't understand now and you can't comprehend it now, but trust me. And someday you will understand. And I think that if there is any theme that runs through Job, it's those words. What we cannot comprehend, what we cannot begin to fathom, what is not clear to us, the answers that we don't have, do not let us despair, as we're going to find Job doing now in this chapter, but let us hold fast to God's words and simply trust Him fully and completely, and someday we will understand. 
maybe not in this life. And I have many questions that come to me continually, and I know that I'm not going to have an answer in this life. And as a matter of fact, I know that God has said, trust me, someday you will understand. This is where we find Job. He begins to speak. Let me read to you out of the Good News Bible because it will make more sense. I did this in the Sunday school class this morning from uh, the section that we're dealing with Ezekiel. And I think there are some things from the Good News translation that will help us understand some of the things that are spoken here in this third chapter. If you want to follow in your King James, if that's what you have, and I'm sure it is, I have mine open and I'm going back to it here in a little bit to, uh, to make some comments from it. But I want you to listen to the words from, from the Good News translation. When it says this, finally, Job broke the silence and cursed the day on which he had been born. This is what Job said now. Oh God, put a curse on the day that I was born, put a curse on the night when I was conceived. Turn the day into darkness, God. Never again remember that day. Never again let light shine on it. Make it a day of gloom and thick darkness. Cover it with clouds. Blotted out and, and, and blot out the sun. Blot out that night of the year and never let it be counted again. Make it as a barren, joyless night. Tell the sorcerers to curse that day, those that know how to control Leviathan. Leviathan, by the way, was thought to be a, uh, a, a, uh, an ocean creature of huge size like the, the, the Loch Ness Monster or some of those things. Verse 9, keep the morning star from shining. Give that night no hope of dawn. Curse that night for letting me be born, for exposing me to trouble and grief. Now, have you heard him so far? He is lamenting the fact that he was ever born. And is saying, God, erase off the calendar that day. Do not even let it ever be heard of. Don't let anybody celebrate my birthday. Let it be as a day that never happened. All right, we'll come back to those things. Let me go on. I wish I had died in my mother's womb or died the moment that I was born. Why did my mother hold me on her knees? Why did she feed me at her breasts? If I had died then, I would be at rest now, sleeping like the kings and rulers who rebuild ancient palaces. But I would be sleeping like princes who filled their houses with gold and silver, or sleeping like a stillborn child. In the grave, wicked men stop their evil, and tired workmen find rest at last. Every prisoner, even prisoners, enjoy peace free from shouts and harsh commands. Everyone is there, the famous and the unknown, and slaves at last are free. Why let men go on living in misery? Why give light to men in grief? They wait for death, but it never comes. They prefer a grave to any treasure. They are not happy until they are dead and buried. 
God keeps their future hidden and hems them in on every side. Instead of eating, I mourn. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Instead of eating, I mourn. And I can never stop groaning. Everything I fear and dread comes true. I have no peace, no rest, and my troubles never end. Does that sound like me or you? I have no peace and my troubles never end. This is a, a statement of uh, grief, of wishing that he had never been born, of a desire to get out of his trouble and die and get it over with. First thing he does is curses the day that he's born. He would wish under his present conditions that it had never happened. You know that he reflects the desire of lots of people. Suicide is one of the fastest growing methods of death that there is in this country. People are saying it is not worth it. Life is nothing but misery. You see it on bumper stickers all the time. Life is the pits. We talk about the daily grind, meaning that we aren't really getting joy out of life. All we have is nothing but trouble, trouble, trouble. And some people get so down that they contemplate and some finally do kill themselves as a means of getting out of their difficulty. Teenagers are turning to suicide more and more. And before this year is out, all things being equal, there will be a teenager in Boone County that will have taken his or her life. It's happening all across the United States. We see it in the newspapers. Someone has reached the end of the rope and decided that there's nothing better to do than to take some pills, to take a gun or some other means and end it all. So he contemplates this and said that he wished that he were dead. He also makes a request that his mother had never given him life. That at the time of his birth, he would have died. He says two things. Number one, he says, I wish I were stillborn. That is, dead at birth. Never having breathed the first breath of life. Or I wish that I have died immediately after birth. That my mother had never held me on her lap or nursed me. This is probably a greater means of 
murder today than any other method is being used by mankind, and that is of abortion. Listen, we as a church, as a denomination, as American Baptists in West Virginia and across the United States, are on record as being absolutely opposed to abortion as a means of birth control. Don't let anybody tell you that we believe otherwise, because we are on record to that point as a means of birth control. There are many, many girls who are getting pregnant and as a means of taking care of the problem are seeking abortions. This is rampant in our country. And it simply is apparently a simple way out of a bad situation. But we do not speak of the scars that are left on those people who have gone through the abortion. And we certainly do not speak of the lives that are taken in that process. There may very well be some reason for abortion. The statement that we adhere to, that I do not fully and completely agree with, is that we are opposed to abortion except in cases of incest and rape. Now, we've got to decide where life begins. And I believe the scripture teaches us that it begins at inception. When the egg and the sperm are united as one, life is underway. And that little speck within the womb of a mother is a life having all of the properties that you and I have now that we are adults. And even though this life can be taken by a very simple medical procedure and save all the embarrassments and unfortunate things that might come, we must nevertheless acknowledge the fact that a life has been taken. I think probably I've told you that when Lynn discovered that she had breast cancer, she was pregnant with her youngest boy. Just pregnant. And the doctors gave her two alternatives. One was to have an abortion, and then they could give her chemotherapy or radiation or something that probably would kill all the cancer cells 
since it had been discovered fairly early, or she could have the surgery and remove the breast and take her chances on their getting all of the cancer cells. She called home to talk to us about it. I did not tell her what I thought she ought to do. The possibility was that she would lose her life if she kept the baby. And we all knew it. And I was not at all surprised when she called and said, I have decided to keep the baby and have the surgery and take my chances. The decision that she made for her was the wrong one, for she died as a consequence. The decision that she made for that little boy was the right one. For it was already, I say it, the embryo, he was already alive within her body. A God-given gift. Never one time since that decision did she or Stan or any of us in the family ever question that decision. And on the day of her death, it was never mentioned and has not been since. And I think never will be. Because what was the choice of selecting one life over another? For life had already begun. And yet this thing is taken so lightly and I see girls through our office in the health department weekly and I talked to a number of them, met one of them on the street just Friday who came up and gave me a hug who was just about as pregnant as she could get, who had decided to keep her baby. And I think she made the right decision. She talked to me about it. That's not my responsibility to deal with those things on my job, but I get talked to. Or people call and want to talk with me about what they ought to do. And with her, I sat in a restaurant booth and we discussed it at length. She elected to keep her baby. This baby will be illegitimate. The girl is not married. But listen, that's a life. And God gave it. And God will bless it. And then it behooves her as a mother to carry that baby. Another girl that I talked to recently in the same situation has elected as soon as the baby is born to give it for adoption because she says, I know that I cannot raise it 
But there is a couple waiting with eagerness and anticipation of the birth of their child. And they will take that baby into their home and raise it. Job, if he was ever wrong, was wrong in his desires that his life would have never begun. I have asked a number of people this question, and I would like to ask it of you this evening. Would you have preferred that your mother had have had an abortion when she was carrying you? If she had, you wouldn't be here. You would be in heaven. Maybe from that angle there might be some advantages to that, but I have never yet found one individual that would say, I wish my mother had had an abortion and done away with me. I think that most of us, perhaps all of us, would never make that statement. Well, Job goes on to describe some other concerns of his. He describes the grave, and will not spend time uh, dealing with each of these items. He calls it a place of sleep. He calls it a place of rendezvous, though that word is not used, a meeting place where all people meet. There are no differences between those who who are wealthy and those who are poor, those with position, those with no position. He calls it a place of equality. He says it's a place where wickedness ceases. He calls it a place of rest. He talks about those who have died looking back upon their life upon earth and realizing how futile all that they attempted to build here upon earth has been. How futile the pharaohs spent all of that money and lives and years of expense in building the pyramids to have them a place to be buried. Only to have those huge pyramids broken into and scavenged and never retain for what their intentions were. A people who build great empires and fine homes only to see them left behind. I have the privilege every once in a while of going to new homes that are being built in which thousands of dollars are being poured. I was in one the other day that was costing over $200,000. Wasn't quite complete yet. And I thought, what does that man have in this house that I don't have in the little place where I live? Although I think surely that we ought to all have fine homes and the Lord would expect us to provide well, but when a person expends extravagant amounts of money on homes or automobiles or clothing or pleasure or all any other things that we might find, it will satisfy for a few short years upon this earth 
that when the day comes that their body lies in the casket, there is nothing there. From their mother's womb they came naked, and back to God they will go naked with nothing in their hands. All of this has been futile unless we put our emphasis in this life upon things that have value, we will have seen it all deteriorate and go on to somebody else or be destroyed and ultimately in the end of time to be consumed with the fire that God will bring upon this earth and it will all be gone and then what will we have? Only that which is placed in heaven will last. And Job is able to, from his image of the grave, look backward to his time upon earth and see all of the wealth that he had and realize that in the long run it meant nothing whatever. Nothing at all. Well, let me close with the whys that Job asks. He asks why four times. You and I ask why many times. In verse 11, he asks, why did I not die from my mother's womb? In verse 12, he asks, why did my mother hold me on her lap and nurse me? In verse 20, he asks, wherefore, and that's the same word, why, why is light given to him that is in misery? Why does the day dawn to a person that is absolute misery? Why does his life not just cease to be? And in verse 23, he goes again with the word light. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God has hedged him in? Job felt pressed in by God from all sides and there was nothing he could do. He had lost everything. He was covered with boils. He was in absolute misery. And God was really pressuring him. And he asks why for these things. The answers to these questions are found in the New Testament. And I want to read you three passages of Scripture from the New Testament. First of all, from 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn over there with me. Some words that we find that can be, respond, that can be the responses to Job's questions in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Dealing with the question, if you don't have time to follow with me, just jot these down and read them when you get home. Verse 17 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, deals with the fact that we are afflicted. Job was utterly afflicted beyond his greatest comprehension, and Paul was an afflicted person, and Paul answers in verse 17, for our light affliction, that is the affliction that we have is so light, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now listen to those words. We are so caught up in our short little period on earth of misery that we think this is eternity. And Paul says this is so, so short and it's such light affliction. This affliction that we suffer for the glory of God will get for us 
a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We're going to receive tremendous blessing from God in heaven because we were willing to suffer on earth. All right, that's the first thing we see. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Back up to Romans. Go left. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Another tremendous verse. Romans 8, 18. Again, Paul speaking, this time to the church at Rome. When he says this, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings, that's plural, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice again the positive thing. We may suffer now, but the glory we're going to get we won't even think that what we went through was anything at all compared to what he's going to give us. And then if you will, go right over to 1 Peter. If you want to go to Revelation and back up just a little bit, you'll find 1 Peter very easy. 1 Peter chapter 2. Three verses, and then we'll quit. If there is any reason at all for us to be willing to accept the suffering that comes to us even though we don't understand why here's the answer and we can take it to the bank as we oftentimes say 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 21 40 even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Christ suffered, we suffer for him. Get that? Verse 22, who did no sin, that is Christ did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. This was the statement Job made. I haven't done anything wrong. Why am I suffering? And there are times that I think I can search my life and say, God, there is no reason for me to have to suffer. I can't find a reason that would cause you to put this burden on me. Jesus had no reason to suffer. He was sinless. Therefore, his suffering was not because of sin. And I think that we can therefore follow and say, our suffering is not always because of sin. There may be some suffering that is. Some of our suffering is not because of sin. Some of our suffering is to give glory to God out of it. And that's what Jesus did. Verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, when he was blasphemed and all this stuff, he reviled not again. He didn't come back at them with cutting words. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't say, I'm going to get back at you. But committed himself to him, that is to God, that judges righteously. Jesus, an innocent person with no sin 
left us an example as he suffered so should we suffer when we are reviled that we do not return it when we suffer we don't threaten to get back at somebody we simply like Jesus commit ourselves to God and he will judge us rightly Job was judged to be right because he remained faithful I think the bottom line is you and I are going to suffer. And we won't know why all the time. We don't know why. We can look at our lives and we can't find anything in it that would cause God to punish us like he's doing it. It would appear. We don't know why why it's happening. But there's one thing we know. The Lord Jesus also didn't have any reason to suffer, but he did. He suffered for me. Now there's an uh, unanswered question that I still have, the word why. God, why? And God is saying, you don't need to know why. Just follow Christ's example. And someday, you'll understand. And then you'll think, my, how stupid of me. Why couldn't I have seen that when I was on earth? There was a reason. And I think likely the reason is going to be that out of our willingness to suffer like Job, We're going to honor the Lord Jesus. We're going to honor God, and he's going to bless us in return. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.